this morning we're continuing. You know, I don't know what I can do about this. But every time the Lord, you know, says, okay, here's what we're going to be teaching. And here's what we're going to be teaching and so on. And I get excited about what we're teaching. And I thought I was excited about the last group of teachings. But increasingly, I get more excited about what we're teaching as we move along. It's just, to me, absolutely incredible who God is. Just absolutely incredible. And not only who he is, but how radically, completely, and comprehensively He's different than we are. And one of the great works of the Holy Spirit as he teaches us the word and causes the word to be vivified, you know what I mean by that, alive in us, is that he is more and more showing us how unlike God we are, even at our best so that even in our best because we typically think about the worst even in our best he is showing us to surrender that to God so that our best is then surrendered to him so that our best becomes his life in us amen And we've been talking about the love of God. And we've connected the love of God because it's one of the attributes of God. In order to understand the love of God a little more fully than we have in the past, perhaps. We are making sure that we do not study and understand and consider the love of God in isolation from some of the major attributes, and I say major, I shouldn't even say that, some of the attributes of God, because we're not going to cover all the attributes of God. Because there's no telling how many there are. But even the ones he's revealed to us, we're only going to cover a handful of them as we are led by the Spirit. But even in the context of these, this handful of attributes, five or six, whatever it's going to be, we begin to see that we dare not contextualize the love of God apart from each and every attribute. Because each and every attribute is contained in the attribute of God's love. Each attribute, if you would, is contained in every other attribute. Because in the totality of all of God's attributes... Is his being as God. And so we've already looked at the omnipresence of the love of God. Do you remember omnipresence? Meaning what? What does it mean? Always what? Present. We've looked at the omnipresence of the love of God. So what does that mean? Once God has set his love upon us. 
by giving us the Holy Spirit. Remember, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Spirit who has been given to us, Romans 5, 5. Once he has done that, will that active presence of God's love ever be withdrawn from us? No. And that he gave us his presence, therefore his love, not based on anything in or about us, but based purely in this, God is love. So, Anthony, why does God love you? First John 4, 8, God is love. Miguel, why does God love you? God is love. Say it in Spanish. Okay. See. Why does God love you, Salas? You see, I want to make sure we get this because when I asked the question, I know some of you thought and you started giving other reasons. Amen? We're so prone to look and think about and consider us primarily. And that's the great struggle of the natural person. Karen, why does God love you? How many tongue speakers do we have in here? Because God is love. And then we talked about the, the, the omnipotent love of God. What is, Bob, what does omnipotent love of God mean? Can't hear you. No, omnipotent. Powerful, you're right. All powerful love of God. Is there anything that can be more powerful than the love of God? Remember Romans 8? What can separate us from the love of God? What power? Can even the power of my sin separate me from the love of God? Yes or no? No. Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, grace, which is the incarnation of the love of God in Christ. Grace more than abounds. Hopefully, we're beginning to become more freed and unshackled by a myopic, small, man-centered, man-considering, looking at myself understanding of God's love and are seeing God's love within the context of who this God is in himself forever. Amen? This morning we're going to be talking about the omniscience of the love of God. So this begins the class. The omniscient God. God is omniscient. This is the the third omni. The three omnis in relation to the attributes of God. Three of them. We covered two. There's a third one. Omniscient has to do with knowledge. Now what does omni mean? All. Just very simply all. And so when we say that God is omniscient. Is to say that God is 
in himself all knowing. God is in himself all knowing. Now, I hope that this is in your notes. Evan is one of the best, what do you call, outliners I've ever seen. To say that God is omniscient, is that in your notes? Okay, I want you to look at this statement. I believe it's from the Holy Spirit, so I'll say it that way. I don't pat myself on the back for anything. I don't have any ability intrinsically. Everything we have as teachers and pastors and elders in this church as we have for one another is from the Holy Spirit. Amen? So that's why I can brag about what is being said because I'm not the author. The microphone cannot brag about what's being said through it. To say that God is omniscient means that God has total. I want you to think of this. Total. Exhaustive. Comprehensive. And immediate knowledge of everything all the time. I want you to bear down on that one statement concerning God is omniscient. Look at that. God is omniscient means that God has what? Total. What's the next word? What? Comprehensive. What else? Exhaustive. What else? Immediate. What? Knowledge of everything at all times. Nothing escapes the knowledge of God. From the most obvious activities of humanity to the smallest vibrating whatever it is in the universe. You know, we used to be molecules and atoms, and now we've gotten down to some of these things that are sub, 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 whatever they all are. To the very smallest... Every vibration of every aspect of anything in the universe is known immediately and personally and forever by this God. Now, what kind of a God is this? And what I believe the Holy Spirit is doing is showing us this, therefore, is the love of God for us. Because I know what happens. Our circumstances, our behavior, what's going on around us, whatever, our physical issues, whatever, these are used by the enemy. To try to convince us, even in the smallest way, that maybe something of God's love is not known. We, we're, it, it's not there. It's being withheld. It's not powerful. Do, do you see what I'm talking about? And if it could be, then God is not God. You see, to say that God is omniscient is to affirm that God knows the past, the present, 
and the future, what? Immediately. God's not looking to say, now I wonder what Frank Laurie is going to say tonight at Alpha. Or maybe more appropriately, what is Peter Davidson going to do in that class today? Frank's a little more consistent than I would be. God is not looking to see what you're going to do. I remember years ago in the press room, my wife and I own a business called New Orleans Envelope and Printing. That's a printing press. And I'm standing in the press room running what they called a multi-lith 1250. And the thought came to my mind, isn't it wonderful that I forgave you of all your sin? Barry, is that wonderful? Steve, is it wonderful? Jason, is it wonderful? Papa Duncan, is it wonderful? Oh, yes. I, I'm still printing, though, Frank. I probably had a job for Frank Laurie, and I don't want to miss this job. You know, it's wonderful. Then he says, but isn't it also wonderful that I forgave you of every sin knowing what you're going to do before you did it? I stopped the press, Alice. I had to stop the press. Because here's what we think. Thank God for his forgiveness. Thank God for his forgiveness. And then we do something, Cody. We do something that we've done for the fifth time in ten minutes. And it's wrong. You've been there, done that, haven't you? Yeah, because you're human like I am. And then we think, will God love me last? Come on, come on, come on. No one thought that? No one thinks that? Come on, come on. Do we think that? Will God love me less? Come on. Or you say, since I did that, then God won't be blessing me. Come on, come on. Let's raise our hands if that's true. Because we're too man-centered. We don't see the love of God for who he is in himself. Is it possible that my sin can in any way diminish the knowledge? I'm sorry. My sin can in any way diminish the power and the presence of God's love in me. Can it be? Anybody? Can it be that way? No. Now, you're saying this. Yeah, but when we say, that's a different issue. We're not talking about that yet. We will get to that because I know the issue. Yeah, but that means that I can do anything I want. No, it doesn't. But we're talking about the foundation upon which our lives are set in the love of God. We must know the foundation first in order to be able to build, allow the Holy Spirit to build us up in Christ. He knows the present, the past, and the future immediately. So the next time today, when you sin, and the enemy begins to whisper, now, you did that. What about God's reaction, and how is he going to treat you? And Stand up, if you're in a private place, and yell and scream, you liar. John eight forty four, and proclaim the truth. God's love for me and God's love in me and God's love through me is as constant as God himself is. Can you say amen?
God's love is everlasting. Why? Why? Isaiah 48, 28. Do you have the references in your notes? God's love is everlasting. Why? Because he's everlasting. In other words, God's love was God's love before he created, after he created, and forever after the new creation. God's love, as we'll learn next week, is an unchangeable, unalterable love. My actions don't disturb God's love. Now, we must get this because we must allow the Holy Spirit to break the bondage of Satan in us so we can be freed to enjoy and understand and live in and be built up by this love of God. God's love does not increase or decrease. Job, remember, can anyone teach God knowledge to God? Has God ever learned anything? Has he? No. God's knowledge doesn't increase or decrease. What does that mean about his love? His love what? His love doesn't waver and wane according to something in or about us. God's love does not change. Why? Because he does not change. And you'll learn something about that next week. And in fact, I didn't put the rest of the verse down, which is very instructive because I didn't want to jump in to the lesson for next week. God's love doesn't change. Why? Because God doesn't change. God's knowledge is infinite. Why? Because he's infinite. Is there anything that we can hide from the love of God? God's knowledge is perfect. Why? The one who is perfect in knowledge is with you. God is perfect in knowledge. Do you see how our understanding of God's love begins to be much more clearly informed by his, an understanding of his other attributes? We must look, not only the love of God, but that's what we're dealing with. We must look at the love of God within the prism of all the attributes of God. And not forget one or another or elevate one over the other. But keep them all in a perfection of unity. Because that's what they are. God's knowledge extends over the entire created order. Psalm 147.4. God counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. God's knowledge encompasses all times and all events. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. I am God. See there again, the proclamation of the name of God. The aseity of God, the self-existent one. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done. Do you remember Jesus in the upper room? He says, 
I've told you ahead of time what's going to happen, right? So that you may what? Why am I telling you ahead of time? So you can know what's going to happen. That's why I know something you don't know. Why does he tell us things that are going to, uh, that are going to happen? What does he say? I'm t- telling you ahead of time. Why? Do, do you remember the discourse? What is, what is the answer? Somebody have an answer? So we, we, we may know what? We may know that he is the Messiah. That's what he's saying. You see, Jesus is saying, I'm the only one. The only human who has such knowledge. But even as a human being, Jesus had limited knowledge. Right? Why? In his humanity, he had limited knowledge. He said, I don't know when I'm coming back. Do you remember that? They asked him, when are you returning? He said, what? I don't know. Why didn't he know? In his humanity, the Father, the Holy Spirit had not told him. But in his divinity, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father, Unlimited knowledge of all things at all times, immediately and comprehensively. God knows our every sin. This is one of the most freeing revelations you can have. God knows our every sin. Sin. I've just taken my time this morning. I wanted to sink in. There's not one sin that escapes God's personal and immediate knowledge. Jeremiah sixteen seventeen. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. Not only does God know your every sin, he knows your sin before you commit it. How many of us have sinned deliberately? Not by mistake, but deliberately after we were saved. Most of us. What about some of you don't have your hands raised? Every one of us in this room have deliberately sinned since we were saved. Amen? Did God sue? No, and I've already talked about that. We'll do it again. Did God know that you would commit that sin yesterday when he, when he saved you years ago? Yes. Was his love for you then the same as it was for you when you sinned yesterday? Hmm? Yes. Yes. We'll get into the issue of, yeah, but what about, can I get away, and what about this and that? We'll get into that. Don't let the devil pick on your mind. All right? Somebody, devil's picking on people's minds here this morning at a moment. Because we're trying to jump ahead, and yeah, but what about, what about, what about? If you're hearing what about, that's not the Holy Spirit. He doesn't speak that way. God knows our every thought and our every motive. When? When does he know it? He's always known it. Steve, before he created you, he knew every thought and every motive of your heart. Everything you want to do but you didn't do because you'd get in trouble and your wife would be upset with you. 
every motive, every desire, every thought, everything. God has personal, immediate, comprehensive knowledge of it. First Chronicles 28.9, Yahweh searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. Remember Hebrews 4, 12, and 13? For the word of God is what? Living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Skipping down a little bit. Able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He knows us thoroughly. Does that frighten anyone in here? Allow it this morning to begin to cause you to say, oh, thank God I can't hide from God. I can't pretend. I cannot make excuses. I cannot point elsewhere. Thank God that before him, I am absolutely and truly free of every encumbrance to hide. Amen? And we'll talk about this thoroughness in a moment. God knows everything we do. Psalm thirty-three, fifteen. He understands all our works. So the next time we're sneaking about or privately doing something or thinking something or saying something or looking at something or going somewhere and nobody knows. That activity is in the immediate presence of God. Not the devil. The devil is not omniscient. Some people preach the devil as he's some God. He's called the God of this world, but he's not God in that sense. He rules the world, but he's certainly a limited being. Mark 4.22. Jesus, remember this? Nothing is hidden except will be revealed. Ooh. Nothing has anything, nothing has been done in secret, but that will come to light. <clears throat> One of the sobering thoughts in my mind about me is on, on the day of judgment when I'm standing before the throne of the king. I don't know whether they're going to have projectors and screens and stuff like that. I, I don't know that. I don't know how, how technological God has become. I don't know whether he's caught up with everything yet, you know. But we do know this. That in order for God to judge us on that day. Wait, I thought there was no condemnation. There isn't, but there's going to be judgment. Evaluation. For we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give what? An account. For the deeds done in the body, whether good or evil. Somebody wrote that to somebody somewhere. 
You might look in 2 Corinthians 5.10 and you may see it. <clears throat> what was I talking about? And when we stand before him, thank him. I need a lot of help. I, I, this is my personal understanding, because Jesus said, if you don't judge your sins, they will be judged. My personal understanding is this. If we are aware of any purposeful sin, we're not talking about inadvertent, I didn't know I sinned, you know, whatever. We're talking about purposeful sin. When you do something you know you shouldn't have. If you know it, Holy Spirit has revealed it to you. We're not talking about searching your heart to find out if there are any weeds in the garden. You allow the weed to grow and then you deal with it. You don't get a plow and start digging up the dirt in your garden to find weeds. God will show you weed when he's ready for it. And when he shows it to you, what, Jazz? You deal with it. Repent. If there's any purposeful sin in my life that I do not confess as sin and ask for the power of repentance and obedience. I believe that sin is coming before the throne of God. I believe it is. For what purpose? To wash it away. So that we may enter the joy of our heavenly father. With all the impurities that the sin that we have committed not forgiveness you know your child is your child but if your child plays in the mud that child is dirty your child can be your wonderful child but he can be a dirty child are you with me on this and so the father is going to wash us of all the dirt of this world but today we have the opportunity so when the Holy Spirit said, that's wrong, that's wrong. Yeah, but God, you don't know. And, and we start giving excuses. We start, and we, we confess, yes, you're right. I'm absolutely wrong. So that that dirt doesn't go before the throne of Christ. Amen? It's forgiven. There's a difference between being a son Generically speaking, a son has nothing to do with gender. It has everything to do with relationship. Being a son in the house and being a son in the house who has a lot of dirt on him from the world. You may remember John 13. Jesus talked about that. About getting your feet dirty and you need to wash what? Your feet. But you're all clean by the word that I've spoken to. But you need your tooties cleaned. You need to wipe your feet before you come into the house. God knows every word we speak, even before we say it. And his love abides in us even before we say that nasty word to that person. And when I say nasty, I don't necessarily mean curse word, but it could be. But just a nasty word of rebuke, put down, criticism. And the love of God in me remains constant. It doesn't go up and down in relation to what I'm doing. His love is not on my roller coaster ride. Subject to that. God knows every detail of our, of our lives to the smallest detail. You'll number the hairs of all your, your head. Ronnie, that should be a comfort to you, brother. You and Bob and me too now. 
God knows every possibility. Look at this verse. Listen to this verse, Matthew eleven twenty one. If, what? If the miracles... In Tyre and Sodom had occurred, which occurred in you. If I did in Tyre and Sodom the same kinds of miracles that I'm doing here, Jesus says, they would have repented. Do you see that? Now that really is a challenge, isn't it? Why didn't God do them so that they would have repented rather than being destroyed? Deuteronomy 29, 29 is the answer. If you want to know the answer, go to Deuteronomy 29, 29, and he'll give you the answer. You see, we're dealing with a God who is not constrained by or hampered by or manipulated by by anything in or of this created order. We're dealing with a God whose ways and actions are the result of who he is in his intrinsic being. Therefore, everything God does is a consequence of who he is. Rather than something of or about us. I must get going. God knows what we'll do in the future. I think I've said that. God's knowledge of us is absolute and comprehensive. Are we beginning to see that we have no wiggle room here? As far as God's knowledge of us is concerned. Anybody have a question about what God does not know? And what God knows, his love also knows. What God knows, his love also what? Knows. Are you with me? Therefore, to say that God is omniscient, all-knowing, comprehensively, immediately, means that God's love is also omniscient. This means that those on whom God has poured out his spirit, he has done so knowing all about us. Knowing our past, which, okay, I was bad, but you see, it wasn't my, well, I just didn't know any better, Kirk, but God forgave me. Thank God he forgave me. We can deal with that. That's good news. But then knowing our past, what? Our present and our future. That's where the mind-blowingness is. It is certainly about our past, but it's, I don't know, there's something about God forgiving me even when he knew I would not obey him. You see, I think this is one of the areas that I have a real concern about for those who say you're saved by faith. But in order to be kept saved, you must continue to obey. And when you obey, if you don't repent and you die that next moment, you're not going to heaven. God knew I would disobey and not repent. Amen? Are you with me, Mary? He knew that. He comprehensively knows everything about my, if you would, the activity of faith in me. He knows it all. 
And he knows when my faith will waver. And my faith will continue to waver continually. Is this true of all of you? But it's not so much what my faith is. It's more what his love in me is. That maintains me in his faith. By the power of his love. Amen. You see, if it were up to me to decide to come into Christ, if you ask Jesus to come into your heart, you will be saved. Poppycock. The Bible doesn't say that. If you ask Jesus to come into your heart, you'll be saved. It doesn't say that. It says God saves his people by coming upon them by the Holy Spirit. Have you read Ezekiel 36? And when that happens, he gives us a new heart to say yes, which is faith. Amen. And my faith is going to fail continually. Peter's faith failed in the garden. I mean, in the uh, uh, at the fire, remember, at the uh, high priest's house courtyard. But Jesus says, but I have prayed. We have an eternal intercessor in heaven. We learned that last time. Where is that? Who intercedes for us forever. What verse is that? Come on. Come on. You've got to know these verses. Hebrews 7, 25. As long as the Son of God remains before the throne of God as my representative, as he prays for me as my representative... I am maintained in the faith by the constant, continual love of God. Amen? That's what keeps me. Can't even keep myself. Had it been myself, A.J., I'd have fallen out of Christ 10 seconds after I got saved. Probably faster than that. You see, this means that those on whom God has poured out a spirit, he's done, his love has done so knowing our past, present, and our future. Why? Because God is love. God's love is omniscient, means that God knew our every sin before he saved us. Please be free today of the devil's shackles of emphasizing us and our activities and our ways and our fallenness, and our flesh over against the aseity of this God of ours who never changes. God's love is omniscient means that he knew how often we would disobey after we were saved. Means that God forgave us of every sin he knew. And how many sins did he know? All of it. You see, that's where God's thorough knowledge of my sin is such a wonderful revelation. Because every sin that God knew about in me, he laid on the shoulders of his son. Thank God for his thorough knowledge. The fact that God's love is omniscient should fill us with great awe. Great wonder, great joy, great comfort, great security, great rejoicing. The fact that God's love is omniscient means that God placed all of our sin on the shoulders 
of Jesus. No sin was missed. Every sin was included. See, this is God's kind of love. It's an omnipresent love. How long is that? The love of God for us and in us will last as long as God himself lasts. It's an omnipotent love. The love of God for us and in us is as powerful as God Almighty himself is powerful. And the love of God is an omniscient love. It is a love that fully, comprehensively, continually, immediately knows us thoroughly and yet loves us. So why does God love us? 1 John 4, 8, and 16. Why does God love us? Because God is love. Amen? I know that the Holy Spirit is breaking through bondages in this room, in this area. Because if there's any attribute of God that is more troubling to us, it's this one. We all know God is all-powerful. Anybody have a real struggle with that? That God knows everything? I mean, any, any real dealing with that? That God is present everywhere? We know all that, don't you? The devil doesn't really attack that, essentially. What is he attacking in us? God's love for me. My fellowship with him, my relationship with him. This is what he's attacking. Don't let him do it. When he attacks you, remind the Satan. God's love is omnipresent. Omnipotent. What else? Omniscient. And over the next several weeks, we'll learn three or four more attributes relating to the content and the activity and the power and the certainty of God's love. Amen. See you. Oh, see you next year.